I grew up in a Southern Baptist church, and I specifically remember one night on a Wednesday during youth when we were having some sort of study on sexual purity, true love weight, something along those lines. And they had a group of women from the health department or some sort of health organization come in to talk to us about the dangers of sex. And I remember a person holding up a hula hoop and another person very aggressively slamming a basketball through the hula hoop and then explaining to us that the basketball represents the HIV virus while the hula hoop represents the naturally occurring pores in a condom. Basically saying that if you have sex, you will get HIV and you will die. Damn, I'm glad I didn't peek in high, high, high school. Cause my best days will be in the past. I know, I know, I know, I know. Looking back, it ain't all bad, but damn, I'm glad I didn't peek in high, high, high school. Hey, everyone, welcome to Unlearning Youth Group, where the podcast where we take a look at all the things we learned back in youth group. Find the good, unlearn the bad, and figure out where the heck we go from here. We haven't met. My name is Jonathan Carone, and we're joined, as always, by our co-host, Mr. Eric Williams. Eric, go ahead and say hey to the people. What's up, people? Um, this is this is this is going to be an interesting one. Week two, we're coming out strong with uh, with the topic that I I think this is either going to be a, a thirty minute one or it's going to be an hour and a half. So there might be some bonus material at the end of this episode. Well, I just looked at the notes and realized I put like abortion topic level notes in here <laughs> comparatively. <laughs> so, so I hope it's not an hour, but it could be. But bef- hey, before we get into that, uh, do want to let you all know uh, w- if you're listening to this right now on your favorite podcast platform, thank you. But mm-hmm. we are also on YouTube now as well. In the past, we've had audio only on YouTube, but this season we're uploading the video to YouTube as well. So if you're watching this on YouTube, leave us a comment or a like to let us know that you want us to keep doing it because it adds about an hour of work each week, editing the video and everything. But if you're watching on YouTube, if it increases people who will listen to the show, I'm all for doing that each week. So let us know you're watching on YouTube. If you're watching there now for today's episode, we're going to bring back some memories for some of you. Yeah. some possibly not so great memories, but as you, you heard from the title, you read from the title, we're talking end times theology, the left behind series and how the evangelical church's obsession with Jesus coming back has caused some less than awesome feelings in many of us. But before we yep. get to that, I feel like this is the political season, like, cause I have to give a disclaimer here, mainly for the Theo bros. And I don't know if we have Theo bros who listen to our show. I doubt it, but Probably not. We're not going where you Theo bros want us to go. Today, we're not debating pre-trib or post-trib or mid-trib or any of those things. I want to say on the front end, prophetic literature in the Bible is extremely hard to decipher through, and there are lots of ways you can de- you can interpret the book of Daniel, the book of Revelation, all the other prophetic literature. Like We're not getting into that. What we are going to do is talk about how We have a tendency to take ideas from the Bible and hyper fixate on them. We take minor ideas that can be debated and present them not only as 100% fact, but also as something that has been 100% agreed upon 
throughout all of Christianity. So we're going to look at the end times prophecy, look at left behind, look at how that has played out in our culture. We're going to talk about what we were taught. We're going to try to find the good in that. We're going to try to unlearn the bad approaches and then figure out a better way to move forward. Good job, Jonathan. Thanks for getting that uh, disclaimer <laughs> out of the way. That's like, it, I think what we need to do is just tell people, listen to this on 3x speed, and it'll sound just like the end of any pharmaceutical yeah. ad, you know, blah, 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 may cause <laughs> diarrhea and vomiting. Listening to this show may cause diarrhea and vomiting if you're a Theo bro. Sorry. Yeah, it, it really could. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so before we get into the good, the bad, and where we go, we've got to lay the foundation for what we are talking about with this episode. So I know not all of you grew up in the church. I know not all of you grew up in the evangelical church. So I don't want to assume that you know exactly what we're talking about with this episode. If you clicked on this episode and you don't know, hey, thanks for trusting us enough to to give us a chance to talk about something you don't care about. But all of this centers around the idea of the rapture. And the rapture is when those who follow Jesus will get swept up into the clouds and we're all going to disappear. And all that's left on earth are people who are not Christians. If you grew up Baptist or charismatic, the bad people, the bad people get left behind. The good people go with Jesus and there are going to be people left behind who thought they were good. That's essentially what it is. If you grew up Baptist or charismatic, The typical teaching was that the rapture would happen either before three and a half years into a seven-year tribulation or after that seven-year tribulation, and it included the mark of the beast. It included uh, there wouldn't be food for people to eat. There'd be Mm. war everywhere. Uh, There was a teaching on this that the Holy Spirit would be removed from earth during this seven-year span, and we could spend hours laying out all of the Theobro theological discussions on the rapture, but here's what it boiled down to, Eric. Yes. Jesus could come back at any time. Are you ready or are you going to get left behind? Come on now. Come on now. Yeah. I see. Here's the thing is I grew up like, you know, long time listeners of the show. I didn't go to church till middle school and then really didn't go to church in high school. And then, you know, I really started getting into more of it in college and stuff like that. And, uh, like, so I, this just seemed like fan fiction to me. Like this was like <laughs> biblical fan. I mean, fiction. honestly, you know, like the really it, it was, this was not part of the Canon that I understood to be in Christianity. Cause I mean, the church that I went to was a Calvary. Um, what is it? Uh, uh, you know, West coast Calvary, Calvary style. They went, they went through, um, ex, you know, expository preaching work, you know, line by line. And so there wasn't a lot of like, pushing towards the end times if they ever got to end times. And so that was in middle school. And then I went to a Methodist church. Meanwhile, my middle school, my middle school experience, we did a weekly Bible study through revelation for a year talking about all of this. So that's where like you and I are coming at completely different ends of this because I, I mean, we talked before the show, I'm very much rapture agnostic. I'm like, I don't care. You know, what do you believe? Post-trib, pre-trib, all that. I'm like, I'm like, I don't care. In fact, if a Theo bro wants to debate me, find me on TikTok, make a video, call me out, and I will look you in the eye and I will make another video and I will say, bro, I don't care because this this is like, this becomes some of the dumbest conversations I've ever seen in my life. And so that's where, full disclosure for our audience, that's where I'm coming in to go like, 
what are, what are we doing? This really, literally, like fan fiction to me when it comes to Christianity. But for me, I was terrified by it. And we'll get into this more in the what do we get wrong part. But, yeah. I mean, to this day, as a 36-year-old, there are still flashbacks. Like, yeah. I, I hate to, like, I don't want to be over dramatic or anything, but that's what it feels like at times. I get it. I mean, like, so like, this sounds more like if you had a friend or your, your sibling and you were talking about a scary movie or something that scared you as a kid, like I was scared to death of David Bowie. There was a scary movie when I was a kid. It was called a thief in the night. But here's the thing is like the difference when you're talking to a sibling and they're like, you were afraid of that. Like when I tell people like the, the scariest movie I've ever seen is, is labyrinth with, you know, the Jim Henson thing with David Bowie. Like I, that still gives me nightmares. And I have other people look at me like the, the movie with the Muppets and the guy who wrote Starman. <laughs> well, you were afraid of that. Like, so that's this conversation where I understand where I'm going, Oh, I've got things in my life that are deeply scary because they hit me at a certain time in a certain way that still carry on where other people would look around and go like, what on earth are you afraid of? That seems so silly. So like I, under, I, I get, I can sympathize with where you're coming from. Yeah. So to be true to the nature of our show, we're going to try to find the good before we criticize anything, before we tear away the bad, we always try to find the good intention that was underlying a bad approach. So we're going to try to do that here. You know, if you listen to the show for more than a week, you know, some weeks we have stuff here, some weeks we don't. This is one of the ones that uh, I honestly think for our parents' generation, there were some some really good intentions because they were motivated by not wanting to see us separated from God. They had been taught this end times theology. And what we have to remember is when our parents and our teachers were taught these things, we didn't have the internet. Mm -hmm. So we weren't as exposed to other beliefs and other church cultures. You lived in your church bubble. So my mom, who grew up the daughter of a pastor who believed all this, all she had been exposed to really is this type of teaching. So in her core, she, she was worried about the rapture. She was yep. worried about me getting separated from God and having to like yep. mom and dad disappearing from earth. And then 12 year old Jonathan stuck on earth trying to figure it out on his own if he doesn't give his life to Jesus. And so there yep. was a legit protection mechanism there about not wanting us to be on our own, not wanting us to be separated from God, not wanting us to experience all the things they thought would happen during the great tribulation. Yeah. I think you add to that, like think about the time and we're going to go into the history more, but for our parents and their parents' generations, like a lot of this is wrapped around the idea of the Jews coming back to the Middle East and Jerusalem and Dome of the Rock and all that kind of stuff to kick off some of these things. And so Israel became a, an independent state in 1948, and there have been wars after wars after wars after wars and conflict in that area, basically from the 40s. I mean, there was like 40 to 55, there, you know, 55 to 63. So if you look all the way through, basically in the formative years for our parents and our grandparents, they're seeing this stuff on the news about how the Jewish nation is forming again. Being reestablished. And so when you yeah, reestablish. And so when you add that to a lot of the, um, you know, some of the other, you know, I won't add my own commentary on what, but the other kind of 
theology around what needs to happen for the rapture, that even makes this more, uh, it, it makes it more urgent. And then like when you, you can see that playing out in popular culture, we'll talk about some of those things later, but you know, that, that, uh, I wish we'd all been ready, which we'll talk about DC talk, uh, covered it. Larry Norman wrote it in the seventies. And literally one of the lines here, it says a man and wife asleep in bed. She turn she hears a noise and turns her head. He's gone. He's gone. I mean, I wish we'd like, all been ready. Right. I mean, like, so think about, think about our parents going like, Oh my gosh, my wife could be. Hey, and for the record, she- for the listener, I said that by memory. That's not uh, in our notes. It's so ingrained in my, in my soul that you said that I knew where we were going. Yeah. And, and so like those, those pieces where people are thinking through, like literally you have no idea what the wrapped around this is like, you could have no idea what the salvation level is of your own spouse or your kid or your parent. And then poof, they could be gone and you're left behind or you're, you're, you're gone and they're left behind. And so it's, there's a, there's an assurance piece that we want to have this assurance and say, Hey, the stakes are high. And like we talk about like any marketing message needs stakes to be effective. And so like when dying and go to going to hell isn't enough, it's like, Oh, that's going to happen when I'm in my eighties. No, it could happen any moment because in the blink of an eye, the trumpet could sound and no one knows on earth or in heaven when that will be except God, the father. And so I know a lot of people from that time frame, right? There was this big fighting back against like a deathbed confession, you know, or a deathbed conversion where it's like, you'd have these, these people who are like, well, I'm going to live the life the way that I want to live. And then, and then right before I die, I'm going to say the sinner's prayer and I'm going to heaven. And so this is also another piece to go, whoa, uh, if you believe in this end times theology type of thing, it's like, no, no, this is why you don't wait. This is why you get your life right now, you know, cause at any time you could poof, you two men. Not only could you hill. possibly get hit by a bus at some point. Yeah. Two people could be walking up a hill and then they, one turns to the other and he's not there anymore. And I wish we'd all been ready. Yep. Yep. <laughs> There's no time to change your mind. The sun has come. And what? You've been waving left, left behind. behind. That song was a banger when uh, DC Talk uh, did did the live version. I mean, I listen to that all the time, even though I didn't really like oh, care about the end times. One hundred percent. No, I, I did care about the end times. It was a banger, <laughs> and it fit my beliefs. So, of course, like little middle school Jonathan's eating that crap up, and I apologize to every single person who ate that crap up. Who that song is going to be stuck in your head all freaking week now because yep. it's an earworm and you can't get rid of it. And if I've been living in this all week as we prepare for this, I'm making you live in it while you listen to it. So I'm sorry, but you're welcome. And the whole time I'm listening to it, like it's some 12 year old Tumblr fan fiction about their favorite, you know, Twilight character or something like that. I'm like, God, this is funny. This is great. Anyway. All right. So, I mean, the good was, it was protection. It was based out of love. It urgency, was protection, on, there's stakes, there's things that we need to do. Yeah. Those sorts of things. So I, even though I, my beliefs on the rapture have changed since I grew up, I can't fault my parents for teaching me this because it's what they believed. It's what they were taught and they didn't have their resources to see the global history of the church in the same way that we do. So as we do with everything, we talked about the good. Let's talk about the bad, where we went wrong. And Eric, I really, 
I have two places I want to go with this section. I'm going to let you pick which one we do. Option A is the idea that this was presented to us as the only way to look at prophetic literature, that Christians always believe this and that every Christian believe this way. Option B is about how this created a fear-based theology that caused trauma and has led people away from following Jesus. So which one do you think we should start with? Uh, I think we have to learn the history and then figure out where, why that, uh, what that implication has. So like you, you're, you're one that's talking about like the deep seated anxiety that this causes for you. And there are probably a lot of other people listening. So let's peel back and go, okay, let's figure out what is the historic view of it? Where did it come from? And why has it led to these feelings for us? Okay. So if you listen to our abortion episode last season or some of the other where we get into history of stuff, this is going to be a little off of notes here because I want to get this right. I want you all to hear this. So follow along if you can. The idea of a rapture where we're all caught up into the clouds the minute the trumpet sounds and that one that could happen any day now, it isn't found in early church or historical Christianity. It wasn't there. The idea was first popularized in 1827 by a guy named John Nelson Darby. And if we're being completely fair, there are proponents of this end times theology that claim it traces back to the seventh century. It also, they also referenced that there were some references in the 1700s to this idea as well, but it didn't really gain steam until the mid 1800s, less than 200 years ago. Yeah. So you and said to put that church. in perspective, you, you said that this was like early church, but this is most of the church history, not even just early church. Yeah. No, no, no. Most of church history does not agree with it. To put it in perspective, Jesus died somewhere between AD 30 and AD 36. To make it easy, let's just say that it was AD 33. Yep. That was 1,990-ish years ago, depending on when you listen to this. We're recording this at the end of 2022. You're probably listening to this in 2023. So add a year if it makes you happy. Yep. The idea of the rapture was popularized 196, 197 years ago. So yep. in the 1,990-ish years of Christianity, this idea of the rapture has been widely accepted for less than 10% of historic Christianity. And even that widely accepted can be debated because it's not amongst every denomination. Right. And I think going back to that John Nelson Darby in 1827, you know, I did some research into that. He took this and ran with it after he heard what he considered a prophetic vision slash dream from a young girl in Scotland. So this wasn't even after like a lot of theologians were digging through the Bible. It was like, here's fan fiction, which, you know, that's my word. Here's a story goes, that kind of makes sense. Let's start proof texting that and going through and figuring this out. Do I make a Mormon joke or do I not make a Mormon joke? That is the question. Just because leave that part. Connect- that's the, that's the mo- insert Mormon punchline here. <laughs> South Park. Dum, da, dum, 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 dum. <laughs> well, I'm going to see the Book of Mormon soon. So that's, uh, anyways. All right. So we've established the recency of this view. But let's also look at the acceptance of it, because if you were taught, if you grew up Baptist, if you grew up charismatic, or if you had any touch of fundamentalism in your background, you were taught that this view was 100% the way to view things and that everyone believed this way. But that's actually not the case. Here's a small list of 
Christian traditions or denominations that don't teach the rapture. Catholics don't believe the rapture. The Eastern Orthodox Church doesn't believe in it. Anglicans, Lutherans, Presbyterians, and Quakers, none of them believe in the rapture. In a survey in 2016 of 1,000 senior Protestant pastors, only 36% believed in a pre-tribulation rapture where Christians disappear at the start and everyone else is left behind. Another 30% say that the rapture is not literal. 18% -hmm. believe the rapture happens after the tribulation. So none of these have a majority view of Christian Protestant pastors who believe in this any moment trumpet sounds left behind walking up the hill type of rapture. If you know someone who is reformed, has reformed theology or is a Calvinist, they don't believe in the rapture. And some popular reformed pastors you may have heard of RC Sproul, John Piper, Tim Keller, Mike Winger, Wayne Grudem, they're all reformed Calvinistic theology pastors and Calvinists don't believe in the rapture. And so I share all this to say this. On this show, we don't tell you what to believe. Our goal is not necessarily to teach you theology or doctrine. We we let our opinions be known, yeah, we but we also we acknowledge there. <laughs> yeah, but we acknowledge there's a wide gulf of belief when it comes to end times prophecy or anything really. And that if you grew up in these cultures, you may not have realized the world outside of you. And I were taught. So if, if you listen to the politics season, that was the whole thing. There's a gulf. There is there is a, a wide breadth of belief on these secondary and tertiary issues that we can have. So I'm not going to tell you, you can't believe in the rapture. If you've read the, the book and have come to that conclusion, okay, that's great. We'll talk about what that means in a little bit, but just know that it is a minority view amongst global Christians and within the history of the church. Yeah. It's kind of like in, um, you know, so in politics, we'll just say it like there's sometimes where people will say this is settled case law, you know, meaning like we have a history of things where there is a plurality of agreement where case after case after case points to. Um, no, you should not uh, premeditatively kill somebody else for no reason. Law after law, you know, decision after decision after decision says, no, that's it. So we are all like, hey, 99.9, we've settled this as settled law. I think that it's important. And what what I appreciate about uh, what we're able to do here is if you are in a spot where you were where you were taught anything that we that we cover in the last you know five plus seasons and you said, this to me when I was growing up was like settled biblical fact. This is where we're saying, no, it's not. You could believe it and you could say, okay, I believe that this is it, but just understand that this is not like settled case law when it comes to biblical perspectives. And so this is how we help bring out some of those other perspectives, which well-meaning Christians who are going to heaven, who love Jesus, Mm -hmm. that they disagree, you know? So that's where... That's where this is coming from. That idea of Bible-believing Christians who love Jesus can read the same book and disagree on some of the conclusions. That is something I hold strongly to as I have been exposed to more 
types of Christians and more denominations. One of the coolest parts about my job is I get to work with people of faith all across the Christian spectrum. And I have been exposed to people who love Jesus, who have come to different conclusions than I have. And we disagree in places, but I don't question their salvation. I don't question their love for Jesus. And so that's made me more open-handed with my faith. And if you're in a Christian you know, environment where you have a leader, a speaker, a teacher, or you're listening to someone, whoever it is, whether it's your pastor, your small group leader, the guy who's your Paul to your Timothy or whatever, <laughs> sorry, then, and you they're saying there? like, yeah, no, I'm sorry. I just, I threw out the Paul to your Timothy, you know, Paul to your Timothy, whoever it is, if they're telling you in some of these issues, like this is the only way to believe and demonizing people who believe differently in some of these issues, that is a sign that they value power and control over the, you know, tenets of the gospel. And so we're walking through this, especially because, you know, Jonathan, what, what I've seen in the notes and what I've heard from you is like, there are years of baggage over this issue being taught to you as settled biblical truth that Absolutely. now, I mean, in your thirties, you're like having to unlearn to the degree that people have to unlearn stuff like purity culture and other stuff like that. And it's, it's damaging. If I had family, certain family members listen to this episode, they would think differently of me because right. of how I now question this theology yep. and how I, do, I haven't come to the same conclusion as them, as I've unlearned certain things and rebuilt things back up and all that. Yep. So <clears throat> that's where Good I'm news, coming though, from. Our family doesn't listen. Our wives don't even listen. So that's fine. My wife keeps telling me, I, I keep meaning to listen, but I haven't, I haven't caught up yet. So but she gets to hear the, she gets to hear the rough draft versions well, sometimes sometimes I, I don't even bother giving it to her uh but so that's the the first thing that was bad with this this approach the second that we've hit on is that it did cause a fear-based theology and it scared a lot of people our first ever episode of this podcast was an episode called stop drop and roll don't work in hell because that's something I was literally taught when I was growing up. We used to use the fear of hell to convince kids to give their life to Jesus. And so this is just another way, another fear tactic to get people to make a decision right away. And we've referenced a thief in the night a little bit, but I'm going to dive into that a little more. So if this gave you the trauma it gave me, I apologize, but it's an important part of this conversation. I put on my therapist glasses while I listen to you here. <laughs> this is the reason to watch on YouTube already. But when I was younger, probably 10, 12 years old, something like that, I was introduced to A Thief in the Night. A Thief in the Night came out in 1972. It was Left Behind before Left Behind. For those of you who have the benefit and the beauty of being unattached to this movie who have never heard of it. Let me tell you what it was about and you can see the ridiculousness of it. <laughs> it followed this woman named Patty immediately after the disappearance of the millions of people around the world. It starts with a radio address. Millions of people had just disappeared. They think this could be the rapture of the Christians that people have talked about. In response to this, the United Nations set up an emergency governmental system, the one world government called Unite. We'll get into the ramifications of this in a minute. I'm just telling you what happened. 
Unite, the one world government, declared that anyone who didn't get a tattoo on their right hand or their forehead, the mark of the beast, would no longer be able to purchase food and would in fact be arrested. Here's the thing, Eric. There was a scene in the movie where someone refused to get the mark and they were killed by guillotine right in the town square. I was 11. Yeah. Like imagine what this, like what this makes me feel. You're probably listening to Jesus freak at the same time or reading the book, Jesus freak and having them ask you if you'd you'd say you believe in, in God when the uh, Columbine shooters had their gun to your head. It was the same five year period. Like all of that. Right. Around the, around the same five time. Yeah. But so in the movie, one day Patty goes to meet with her friends in the park these other people who that like that now believe in Jesus, who realize they were left behind, that they refuse to get the mark. And she walks into the park and one guy, like he's covering his hand and he's wearing a hat and it's revealed that he's gotten the mark and she's mortified thinking he'll turn her in. So she, she runs away and gets away. And so you have the whole movie. And here's here's one of the parts that was terrifying. Towards the end of the movie, it's shown that Patty was actually only dreaming this. That this was a dream. It it didn't really happen. Okay, cool. So this was just a scare tactic. No big deal. This didn't actually happen. Except she woke up and it was real. M. Night Shyamalan! She woke up, turned over. Her husband wasn't there. She turned the radio on and it was the beginning of the movie all over again. So <laughs> she was left behind. Her husband left. And I'm watching this as like a 10, 11, 12 year old. My sister, who's two years younger than me, tells me she still has like anxiety from this movie. So it had a grip on people who grew up in that culture. And you mentioned the song before, but the song I Wish We'd All Been Ready came from this movie and DC talk covered it in the nineties. It was popularized on the uh, live at the freak show album, which we all had after Jesus Mm. freak came out. It was the, the live album after that. And Tim LaHaye, the guy who wrote the left behind series is quoted saying that he got the left behind title from the lyrics of, I wish we'd all been ready. So it all ties together. It all comes together. And Tim LaHaye, let's bring it all the way around. Really good buddies with friend of the show, Jerry, Jerry Falwell. Falwell Sr. Woo! We, the, the student center and a hockey rink at Liberty University is the LaHaye Student Center and the LaHaye Hockey Rink. Ugh. Oh, imagine that. He made so imagine much that. money on those books. He built us a hockey rink and a student center. Well, and go back to last season if you need to, to read some of that stuff. But the connection between LaHaye and um, Falwell, you know, he's one of the ones that convinced him to let's start the moral majority. So they were all in this whole moral majority thing. And so if you think about this left behind and these other like extra biblical fan fiction, false dogma type of things, like you'll see what the bad intent is that it fuels when you can mix it together with what was going on sociopolitically at the time where they're starting the moral majority and pointing out all the bad people. And so now this scare tactic of a, of a book series of a movie series of an idea 
only fuels more of uh, of this of this issue. And if you look at it, the Venn diagram between people who taught and believed this theology and this doctrine with the people who are very pro-Second Amendment, very pro-prepper, very pro-survivalist, that Venn diagram overlaps quite a bit. Yep. Yeah, the the idea of um, this being a very American exceptionalist viewpoint, you know, you already mentioned like, a lot of people say this is uh, between the abortion issue and the end times theology rapture issue. Christians around the world look at that as a very American issue. It's not it's not a you know, it's not a thing most everywhere else being politically tied. And if you think about it here from uh, left behind, like it really taps into this idea of Americans being survivalists and frontier and two A and prepper, because either when this happens, either a you're part of the chosen few because you're special, because every American is special because of exceptionalism or B you didn't make the cut. And now you need to get your guns ready. You need to get your canned food ready. You need to, the you know, government's bad. The apocalypse. Yeah. You got to like, you got to go and move out and do all the, all the American things. So again, with that Venn diagram, you know, it's like there, how many of the things in our life are Christian or are they the red, white, and blue flag draped cover of Christianity? And that's really where it's like you start to see some of that that danger in there. One of the bad things is that, I mean, one of the reasons so many of us grew up in a way that we were taught to view the government was because, I mean, there is a conservative small government mindset. I don't want to dismiss that because there are people who truly believe small government is best and that the government needs to get their hands out of things. And that's how we operate better. I don't want to like dismiss that, but also there's a lot of this that is built up in this end times theology doctrine because it revolved around a one world government Mm -hmm. and a one world currency. And there was an antichrist political leader who, and so when we're scared of all of those things happening, that maybe we're living through the end times or the great tribulation, then everything can be tied back to that. So anything that is big government, not only do you disagree with it economically and financially, but there is now a religious component with it that makes it feel evil because it is representing Satan and you can look at some of the language used towards people who are proponents of government being used for good. They say that government Satan or the people who support that are supporting Satan or things like that. And so all of that has its ties in this type of theology. And we don't realize how rooted it is altogether and how, how interwoven it is until you start looking at the history of it and the, the connections between all of it. And, we mentioned it in when these things the come climate up, right? change like, episode. Well, when we've talked about like, when do these things come up? So uh, um, the, the original movie, or I forget what, uh, Thief in the Night, right? That's in the 70s when moral majority is starting to form and this idea here. And so conservatives want small government. That happens. And then the Left Behind hey, books. Hey, hey, I mean, Eric, that, Eric, wait, wait. 
what's going on around the world in 1972 that Americans are responding to? Uh, I mean, the Cold War, yeah, the rise yeah, of Cold Russia War, or the USSR, right. and a communistic government who is taking over yep. things. So you've got these the evilness here coming up, and then the Left Behind series. The the first book was what ninety five, and like Clinton was elected in ninety three. So now you have Democrats taking over, and so what do conservative Christians who may be intermixing their politics with their religion do? Okay, let's and not let's, even realizing it, not even realizing it. It's like oh no, this is a problem, and Clinton is the one bringing you know he uh dur- let's just say during the Clinton era uh peace and talks were being brokered between the Palestinians and the Israel uh, and the uh, Israelis. So there's, you know, there's some of this Middle East stuff going on. The Internet's taking off. And then, you know, you start if you keep going past. Think about when Obama was elected. That's when I started to see all the billboards about the earth, the world is going to end on October 13th, whatever. You know what I mean? And it's so my it's birthday, like, dude. Why is it going to be my birthday? I, was that it? I think that was birthday? one of the days. Maybe it was October oh, 16th. I don't, I don't know. You get a birthday before. It's just the same thing as like getting married <laughs> before you die. So that way, you know, before the rapture happens, you can have sex one time. Like, there you go. Uh-huh. Anyway, so like same type of thing where it keeps coming in waves where it's it's almost you can see it's reactionary to some of the, the signs that are going on that conservative Christians, conservative evangelicals are trained to look out for. And so whether it's malicious or not, that is that, you know, that backing. And so it's it's everything from what we just talked about. So the vaccine starts coming out, COVID, and it's like, that's the mark of the beast. Barack Obama is super charismatic as a leader. It's like, oh, he's going to be the, you know, he's the uh, the antichrist. And then it's like climate change. No, climate change is a hoax because God intends for these things to happen at the end of the, you know, the end of our U.S. military intervention. All of it, like, can can start to swirl around this basis of end times theology which, like we talked about before, might have had good intentions, but we allow those good intentions to run wild dogmatically, and it creates problems, not just in poor young Jonathan's life, but in the entire world. The fact that we have a huge defense ministry, you know, or defense uh, budget partially is based in a conservative value and thought that we have to control, because otherwise, if a one world government takes over, that's going to kick off, you know, this whole rapture left behind thing. I remember, so I was at Liberty when Obama was first elected, and I remember a video getting shared around the Liberty community of a guy on YouTube who took different types of Hebrew words around the end times and put it together and said it was Barak Obama was the words (laughs) that were put together to say Antichrist. And people took this seriously. That's how deep seated all of this stuff is. Like it was like a 10 minute thing and people were eating it up. And I was much further right politically back then. And even then I'm like, are we this stupid? Like, are, are we, are we this? I don't even know the word for it, but. So I think we have a couple of segments here on the show you know, partially like how can we fit uh, marketing and uh, purity culture in also somehow it all ties back to, to Jerry. And then o- outside of that, I think we just need to like have music. That's the Looney Tunes theme. Dun, 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 like the, the Liberty university Looney Tunes segment. Dun, 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 dun. Here's where Jonathan shares with Eric, one of the <laughs> bat crap, crazy things that happened at Liberty 
that now I get to react to and go, are you kidding me? This legitimately happened. Yep. That's all folks. Like you just need a Jerry Falwell, you know, mouth thing, like uh, poorly animated, like a South Park episode where it's like, but that's all folks. That's Liberty folks. <laughs> I'm just here's, here's, the, here's the thing. They don't sound that crazy to me because I lived it. Yep. But then you get people who didn't live it and it's, it's totally different. So to pull us back in, because we are getting a little long here, that's the political bad about it. But going back to some of the stuff that I've talked about with me of how the anxiety and the way this makes me feel rapture anxiety is now a recognized type of religious trauma. Darren Slade, who is the president and CEO of the global center for religious research says this, this is a real thing. It's a chronic problem. This is a near area, a new area of study, but in general, our research has revealed that religious trauma leads to an increase of anxiety, depression, paranoia, and even some OCD-like behaviors. Remember me talking about the sinner's prayer a thousand times a day? Mm-hmm. He goes on to say, now imagine you are taught that at any minute you could be left here on earth. What does that do to the teenager who just had premarital sex or even simply took the Lord's name in vain? What does that do to the parent of those children, right? How, how much more of a hover parent are you going to become when you think, Oh, mm-hmm. if they make a mistake and then poof, they get, you know, now I'm going to be taken away and they're going to be left behind. You know, that it, it's not just your own anxiety for you, but it's anxiety by proxy where now you're anxious for the loved ones in your life. Even mm-hmm. if you feel, you know, sure of your stuff, you could still be like super anxious about someone else. You know, the last time you, I remember your- when my dad was dying at the end of 2021, I was on my way to go see him in the hospital and my mother-in-law called me almost in tears and she's like, Jonathan, I'm just so worried about his salvation. I, right. I don't, I don't want him to go to hell. I, I, I think you really need to ask him about that. And I'm like, first off, why is it your place to say that? Right. But second, like that idea combined with could happen at any moment, Jesus could come back. I can't imagine the anxiety that our parents lived with because of that. And then that gets put onto us. And so no wonder there's so many people who grew up in the church who have severe anxiety or issues today. It, it, it wasn't intentional, but with time and perspective, we look back and it's like, Oh, that wasn't healthy at all. Yeah, totally agree. So now what do we do with that? How do we move forward? I think the first thing you have to do is the thing that I had to do. You've always been rapture agnostic, but I had to determine if I thought the rapture is a real thing or if it's just something I was taught as a kid. And so I think first off, this is a place that it's where deconstructing or unlearning is really, really important. So you have to determine what you believe and why you believe it. You can't just take what we were taught for granted because we've seen, we showed earlier, this is not accepted 100% across the American church. It's not accepted across the global church and it's not fully accepted across church history. So Is this something that you actually believe in? Additionally, 
So let me jump in really quick because I Go think ahead. some people will look at that as as a as a binary. Like I was either taught wrong or I was taught right. When there might be a middle ground, and this may not be the perfect analogy, but it's very similar to. And for any of you listening with small children, now is the time to maybe you know pause. It's very similar to the the Santa Claus issue. It's like as you grow up, you're going. That wasn't actually true, but the intent behind it is great, and I'm going to carry some of that forward. And I'm going to go, should I care more about giving than receiving? Should I be generous? Should I have this joyful nature because of the area and the, you know, and the, and the, yeah. So you can take some of the like heart behind the teaching and still apply it. Don't think that you have to go wholesale and say everything that I was taught was false because it wasn't real. You know, when in reality it's like, okay, what is the, what is the, what's the point behind the mythos or the mythology that you're taught so that you can now apply to your life? Yep. And as you come to those conclusions, I know this is a heavy word, but I believe you shouldn't be teaching something to your kids or your students you are leading that could cause religious trauma without first studying it for yourself and making sure you actually have the biblical basis for your teaching. If you can back this up, if you've done the study yourself, then by all means, you can teach that. We'll talk about how you teach it here in just a second. <laughs> we talk about how you like, should you be teaching it in fear? Absolutely not. And we'll talk about that in just a minute, but you should not be teaching this to people if you do not first fully understand it and have, and have done the study for done your own research for yourself and not just lived on what you were taught. I'm not going to tell you what to believe. You can kind of see where I believe on this, but you need to figure out what you believe first. And then once you do that, as you teach people this, we have to teach our kids and our students about grace. We have to teach what it is. We have to teach why it's important. And we have to teach that, okay, let's say that we do believe in the rapture. Well, if you do believe in the rapture, our salvation is by grace through faith so that no one can boast. If I understood that at a young age, I was taught that any sin can keep you out of heaven. So I had to say the sinner's prayer a thousand times a day. If I looked at it, <laughs> so I'm watching a thief in the night. I'm hearing about getting left behind. At the same time, I'm going through puberty and girls are developing things. So. Mm -hmm. Purity culture, getting left behind, and any sin can keep me out of heaven. That's the trifecta of religious fear right there. And so anytime I looked at a girl's boobs fear. when I was 13 years <laughs> when I was 13 years old, if Jesus could come, I, I had a legit fear that Jesus could come back between me looking at her boobs and me saying the sinner's prayer. And if that happened, if Jesus came back in the time between I recognized that I'd done something wrong and said the sinner's prayer, then I would either be damned to hell or I would be left to, to live in a world where I could get my head chopped off for not taking this, the mark of the beast and my parents wouldn't be around. So there'd be no way to eat. And so much of that was because I wasn't taught the idea of grace, oh, that my God. salvation was dependent on me saying the sinner's prayer anytime I sin. So you can see the unholy trifecta of religious trauma, how this plays out. 
You don't want to say Trinity, do you? Because you you want you don't want to be blasphemous by saying the unholy Trinity. Uh, we could probably <laughs> do some therapy into that, but you're probably right. right. I didn't even recognize that. But, but so it turns in it's turn it's the same. So bringing back the Santa Claus analogy, like you're going to carry that forward with your kids, and then what you're going to do is go like, oh, you've got to be good because Santa's watching, which completely undercuts the entire intention of the Santa Claus story. Is not you know you better be good for goodness' sake. That's like that's never been a part of the official canon. So, you know, you, you miss out on the gift giving side and the generosity mm -hmm. side, which is, you know, our analogy is grace and you stick to the, you know, the, the idea of control and uh, you know, controlling your actions. And it's like, that's not a healthy thing to pass on either. To take it one step further, we have to teach grace. And then we also have to teach that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Our kids should have confidence in their salvation, that once they put their faith in Jesus, nothing can separate them from that love. Not looking at a girl's boobs when you're going through puberty, not telling a white lie, not making a mistake and having sex before marriage, nothing can separate us from the love of God. And if we have that confidence, they will know that they don't have to fear the end of the world or they don't have to fear a future judgment because they already belong to Jesus and nothing will take that away. So even if you do believe in the rapture, even if you do believe that in a pre-tribulation rapture where Jesus could come back at any point in time, whisk us all away. This would be a great time for me to stop this episode. That'd be hilarious. Whisk us all away and people will be left behind. If our kids know that their salvation is rooted in, but in grace forever, that nothing they can do to can separate them from the love of God, they can believe that theology and know that they don't have to fear it. Yeah. I think we've taken this idea as especially conservative Christians of like blessed assurance and we want to be right. But instead of being right about, you know, these tertiary theological things, why don't we have what, you know, go back and listen to the original hymn or what is it, Alan Jackson's version of it, and listen to Blessed Assurance. And the Blessed Assurance is that Jesus is mine, right? Blessed Assurance is that is in your salvation. That's that's what we need to be sticking to. And that's where, when I come to this uh, from that rapture agnostic side, is like, I don't really care what happens with the, you know, pre-trib, post-trib, whatever, because I have assurance that salvation and grace it, that nothing can separate, you know, Corey Asbury starts singing, you know, overwhelming, never ending love of God. Let's, let's hear that and know. And if that's the story, if that is the theology you can pass on to your kids and your loved ones, that's the one uh, that we want to get right. Yep. Ultimately you need to know why you believe what you believe and you should be able to articulate it in a way that is motivated by love, not driven by fear. And that includes the rapture, but all theology in general, if God is love and perfect love casts out all fear, we need to be approaching all aspects of our faith in a way that is motivated by love, is backed up by scripture and points people to Jesus. If what you are teaching your kids or the students you are leading is not all three of those things, you need to stop, step back and reevaluate what you're doing. Amen. <laughs> for those that aren't watching Eric just like tipped his coffee cup having said this and then here's the last thing we, we touched on this a little bit but I do want to say this because I think this is really important with us in our culture today if you choose to believe in the rapture 
and all the things that come along with it. You have to be very, very careful in how you teach that to others and how you let it impact your view of the world because nearly every religious conspiracy theory is wrapped up in teachings about the rapture. Yep. Not every conspiracy theory is based in that, but most of them are. The COVID vaccine had a microchip in it. That's the mark of the beast. War in uh there you had Christians supporting Russia in the war with uh Ukraine because it was a sign of the time and Jesus is coming back. When the euro was first introduced as a form of currency, that was a way to get us to the one world government and show Jesus was coming back soon. And people were taught to reject the euro. Smartphones. Dur- smartphones. During COVID, when stores stopped. Smartphones ex- are a mark of the beast. Well, when stores started stopped accepting cash and went to debit card or touchless payments, it was a sign that of a one world com- currency that was coming. So all of these conspiracy theories are wrapped around this theology. But it's, it is possible to hold the view of the rapture without creating conspiracy theories out of every current event. But every conspiracy out of current events, it's based in rapture theology. And so I go back to what I said a minute ago. Is what you are doing motivated by love, backed up by scripture? Does it point people to Jesus or is it driven by fear? If it's driven by fear, we don't need to be doing it. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, again, Theo bros that are still listening, you know, want to po- point to a lot of like passages that proof texted Matthew 24, stuff like that. We always forget that, you know, verse 36 says, Jesus is like, no one knows the day or the hour. So here's some things that we do know to be true. The gospel, we know salvation. So like stick to that. And then you also know that no one knows the day or the hour but then you've got a bunch of people going, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm going to look for signs and stuff like that. And I'm going to try to yeah. predict it. And I'm going to try and figure it out. No, no, no. You don't know. The fact that you're actually trying to look at conspiracy theories and go, that could be a sign. Like, nobody knows. So you doing that is actually going against Jesus's words. And so it's like, I want to look you in the face. And if you're on YouTube, if you're not, click over to YouTube and look me in the eye. Because if you're a Theo bro who's like grabbing onto this, stop it. Stop it, stop it, stop it. Because <laughs> Jesus is telling you, nobody knows the day or the hour. And you are in the position where you're going, well, I know more than Jesus. I'm going to figure this out. Stop it. You're not like, you know, you're, you're not goodwill hunting here, buddy. Just put the, fold it, fold it up back from Revelation, go out and start loving people and be blessedly assured in your faith over fear that your salvation is fine and that you need to love other people. Don't scare and them. When Jesus comes back, be because he will come back at some point. Yeah. You're good. And in the right. meantime, go love people. Yes. Love them the way Jesus loved them. Don't sit here and worry about what's to come or make conspiracy theories. Go love people the way Jesus loved them. And when he comes back, he'll look you in the eye, shake your hand and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Yeah. It's that easy. Go, well done. He's not going to go well done, good and faithful servant because you, uh, you know, said that the first black president of the United States was, uh, was the antichrist way to go. You got that one. Like it's not going to happen guys. It's because of the fruit of the spirit, because of the love that you showed other people. He's not going to go well done. You scared the crap out of your kids by making them think that, that, you know, they might be left behind. Stop it. Well, that's it for this week. 
<laughs> Next week, we get to talk about one of my favorite topics and something that is a guaranteed comment starter on TikTok, women in ministry. So yes. make sure you subscribe to the show wherever you get podcasts. Make sure you subscribe on YouTube if you're watching there. Rate us and review us wherever you get podcasts. It's been a while since we've had some new reviews on Apple Podcasts. So if you listen there, go leave us a review if you like the show. Share this friend, share this episode with a friend if you found it interesting. If you have any feedback or questions or want to tell us we're wrong about anything, you can get in touch at hello at unlearningyouthgroup.com. Eric is at EricW712 on all the major platforms. And I am Jonathan underscore Corone on them as well. Two quick reminders before we get out of here. Get your merch at unlearningyouthgroup.com. And if you have a funny or awkward youth group story that you want to share with us, you can go to unlearningyouthgroup.com and record it right there or send a voice memo to hello at unlearningyouthgroup.com. With that all out of the way, as always, thank you for making us a part of your day. And Lord willing and the creek don't rise, we will talk to you again next week. I was reading through those lyrics for that Larry, Larry Norman thing. And it was just like, I'd sang that They're song so and it's been fine. And then it was like, life was filled with guns and war. Like just read it. Don't sing it. And everyone got trampled on the floor, man. I wish we'd all been right. Children died and the days grew cold. I want, I want like a heavy metal version of this, right? Life was filled with guns and war. Everyone got trampled on the floor. Right? Like, could you imagine just somebody just double bass? We need to record that. Let's do, let's cut a heavy metal version. August Burns Red. Call us. Call us. Okay. Let's figure out how to do an August Burns Red track of this. Hey, Spencer Chamberlain and Aaron Gillespie. I know you guys don't believe in Jesus anymore, but can we do this? Can we pull off an Andrew? There's no time to change your mind. The sun has come. Cool.